Welcome to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast, where you will learn how to identify, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around and operate mobile home parks. And now, here is your host, the fifth largest mobile home park owner in the United States, Frank Rolf. Would you buy a dollar for three quarters? And if so, how many would you buy? This is Frank Roth with the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast Series, and we're in our fourth installment of a five-part series on easy turnarounds. We're going to be talking about just that, buying mobile home parks that are underpriced, basically paying for an asset at a reduction in value of what it could sell for the very moment that you buy it. Let me start off by giving you an example, my very first mobile home park called Glenhaven. Glenhaven had 83 lots, and I bought it for $400,000, which was less than $5,000 per lot. Now, you may be saying, so what? Well, here's the deal. It costs about $15,000 per lot to build a mobile home park plus the cost of the land. So right off the bat, I was buying Glenhaven for a fraction of replacement cost. But even then, that doesn't mean much. You see mobile home parks all the time on the highway that just shouldn't have never been built. And even though they also cost $15,000 plus land, there's no reason to believe that was a great bargain. But Glenhaven was right on the freeway, right in Dallas, Texas. And if you really look at the numbers, right off the start, if I'd had it appraised, which I didn't because the seller carried the paper, I guarantee you it would have come in for being worth way more than $400,000. The seller had only priced it so low because he was losing $2,000 a month with it which I've already gone over in an earlier turnaround story. But the bottom line is he didn't know any better and neither did I. He threw out a price right there on the phone with me to get me to buy it right on the spot. And he priced it way too low. And then to make it even crazier, he offered me seller carry. I only had to put down $10,000, which came out to about 2.5% of purchase price down. And then he carried the balance, $390,000 for 30 years on fully amortizing mortgage and non-recourse on top of that. It must have been a good deal because I sold it about seven years later for about $1.5 million. So I think that was a case of buying an asset that right off the bat, I was paying less than it was worth. But you may be saying, okay, well, that's a turnaround story. There were other issues in that. I mean, you were losing two grand a month. You had to save the day on that. Well, let me give you another example. This is a park that we bought back in Laramie, Wyoming. We bought this park at a 12% cap rate, even though the seller thought it was at a 6% cap rate. And he had his revenue off by $60,000 when he came up with his analysis of the property. Now, Laramie is a really good market. And any mobile home park in Laramie that you could buy today, even at an 8 cap, would be considered good. But here he was selling it at 12% cap rate right out of the chute, and that did not even include the fact that his rents were far below market and that he had some vacant homes we could rent and some storage units that could be rented. So the bottom line is that parks are often underpriced, and it's due to several different reasons. The first one, lack of proper accounting of the performance. That's what happened in Laramie. The mom-and-pop seller did not really have a good handle on his NOI. Now, he didn't because the manager had been embezzling $60,000 a year. But nevertheless, the fact still remained that the park was producing far more net income than he actually thought. 
The second reason is just a general lack of knowledge regarding prevailing cap rates. Now, we all know that the current market out there on cap rates is typically 7 8% on up into 10% range. But if you're a mom and pop and you've been out of the market for the longest time, you haven't bought or done anything in the industry for long periods of time, then you don't really know what the cap rates are. So when you go to price it to sell, you're really operating in a vacuum. You don't really have a whole lot of knowledge on it. And you might think, well, the person's broker, they would help save the day. But what happens is typically the broker wants to get a commission. And if the seller wants to sell the property at a low price, it's great for the broker because he knows he'll get that deal closed really fast. The third reason is just straight up operational stress and the desire to sell the property quickly. That's what happened with Glenhaven. Mom and pop owner had owned it for many, many years, lived in California, and just really had com lost complete interest in the property. And the fact that it was losing money every month made them think, well, I just want to get rid of it. I don't really care what the value is. I just want to get it off my plate because I don't even care anymore. And you see that a lot with mom and pop sellers, particularly greatest generation and silent generation folks, because they're really getting pretty far on in age. And the concept of having to go out there and collect rent and all those different items, which may seem exciting to the new buyer, to the older buyer, they don't really much want to do it anymore. They'd rather just basically do more fun stuff, go get on their boat, go play golf, play with their grandkids, something like that. They don't really have the enthusiasm anymore that really makes them want to go forward with the deal. Don't forget that Warren Buffett, among other people, has said that without enthusiasm, there's no energy. Without energy, there's nothing. And that's what happens a lot of times with moms and pops. They just lose that spark that made them want to go to work every day and get that park the best it can be. And that's why they drop the price very low is they just don't want to do it anymore. The fourth reason, which seldom talked about a lot, but I'm going to talk about it now, is bonding. Now, what the heck is bonding, you may say? I think I've talked about it in earlier podcasts, but I cannot possibly emphasize it enough. It's the magical power that makes amazing deals happen. What happens with bonding is you and the seller hit it off and the seller says to himself, I really like this person. I really want them to do well. And I'm going to price it a little lower than I probably should. I might even carry the paper in a manner which I probably shouldn't because I want them to succeed. Let me give you an example of bonding. This is a non-mobile home park example, but I think it, it will be very apparent to you quickly. I used to be in the billboard business, as we all know. And I once built a billboard on a property out on Interstate 20 east of Dallas. And when I went to put the pole in, there was a little plaque on that spot. And I asked the property owner about the plaque, and here's what he told me. Years back, there had been an auction during Dallas's savings and loan crash back in the 80s. And what happened back then is if your property went into default, there would be an auction where the property would be sold, and the bank would always bid in the loan amount. Then once they took control of the property, they would try and market it to get their money back. It was pretty standard practice back then. So at the auction, if anyone showed up, they'd have to bid more than the loan value to have any prayer of buying the property because the bank would always bid the loan. Well, in this case, property was large, highway frontage, and there was one person who wanted to buy it at a price more than the bank's note. That was a guy named George Lucas. No, not the Star Wars guy. This is a different George Lucas, a very large landowner in Dallas back in the day. So he goes to the auction out at the property. There's the auctioneer. Here's George Lucas. But the bank has not shown up. 
And it's time to start the auction. And for some bizarre reason, the bank has not shown up. And this is a true crisis because if the bank does not show up, it only has an opening bid of $10,000 and no reserve. So if that banker doesn't show up quickly, Lucas can buy the property for $10,000. And the loan in this case was about a half a million dollars, which would be a very, very bad day for the bank. So suddenly they notice, here comes the banker across the field from the other side. Seems kind of weird that you would walk through the weeds and all of the uh, insects and everything to get to the auction spot. Why didn't you just pull up on the highway? But they thought, well, you know, who knows? The guy may be wanting to walk the property and see what he's getting into. But here comes the banker to bid the loan value. But when the guy gets there, they see this isn't a banker. This guy isn't dressed nicely. He doesn't look at all like a banker. So they say, hey, who are you and why are you at the auction? And they say, oh, well, I live in that shack back behind the land. And I was just curious because I see your Jaguar and I want to look at it because Lucas drove a really nice Jaguar automobile. So Lucas said, sure, here, let me show you around the car. He opened up the door, showed him inside, showed him the engine, said, in this cool car? The guy said, yeah, it's a really cool car. I really like it a lot. And I hope someday to be rich enough that I can buy a Jaguar like this. During that little episode, Lucas suddenly took a liking to this guy. Just liked him, liked his character, liked his story. So Lucas said to the auctioneer, it's time to begin the auction. Enough time has passed. We've got to get it going. And the auctioneer said, okay, well, this is a catastrophe. The banker should be here, but he's forgotten or something. So I guess let's start it up. So Lucas says, I'll bid in $10,000. Well, that's the end of the auction, except Lucas suddenly says to the guy, hey, guy, why don't you bid in $10,001? Now, this caused a problem because the guy had no money, so he refused. Lucas said, you got to say it. Just say 10001 to humor me. If you have no money, it won't matter anyway. They couldn't sue you anyway. Just say it. So the guy said, 10001 and Lucas said, okay, I drop out. That guy wins. Well, the auctioneer suddenly thought, wow, this is actually the best thing that could happen because Lucas has got money and this guy doesn't, and he now has to come up with the money or the auction is negated and it goes back to the bank to be auctioned once again. However, instead, Lucas said to the guy, here, here, I'll give you the $10,001. And one day when you get $10,001 together, you bring it to me. Here's my business card. And he jumped in the Jaguar and took off. Now, why did Lucas do that? Why would Lucas give basically the land to a person he'd never met before? And the answer is bonding. He had liked this guy from showing him around the automobile, and he wanted to help him. He saw no reason to add on more land to Lucas's land empire. Why not give this guy the land? Why not? What did he care? He had thousands of acres of land. Now, the reason I know the story, again, is the property owner, the new one, told me how he came to own the property. And what he did with it was he went down to a bank and he mortgaged the land. He got $50,000 for the land, even though he had terrible credit and no money at all, because the bank felt at least the land had to be worth 50 grand because it was valued at a half a million. He used the money to build a barbecue restaurant and he also built that little plaque. And he told me the end of the story was that Lucas died only about a month after the auction. So basically, Lucas knew he had terminal cancer even when the auction was going on. And 
he had more fun, more enjoyment out of helping this guy than he ever would have had in taking that land. And that powerful force is called bonding. We see it every day in the mobile home park business. You see it every day in many, many different things. The greatest generation folks, the the silent generation, all these people are so dedicated and so kind and really like helping people that often if they bond with you, if they like you, magical results can happen. Now, you know, my wife used to work at Neiman Marcus. She sold different things at Neiman Marcus many, many years ago. And Neiman Marcus has this own unique wrinkle. They have to honor the price on the product, even if it was mismarked. Now, I don't know if they still do that today. But 30 years ago, you could go into Neiman's, and if they had priced something wrong, if they had left off a zero or even two zeros, they quietly had to honor it. They could not say, oh, I am sorry, I mistagged that merchandise. So my wife and I would often go around to different Neiman stores and turn over all the tags on the different items looking for things that were mismarked. Over the years, we found thousands of dollars of items that we could buy for hundreds of dollars. It was that simple. Basically, you would find a bowl that was supposed to be selling for $500 marked at 50. You'd find a woman's dress that was marked at $700 supposedly but in fact, it was only marked at 70. It was amazing, in fact, how many tags were mismarked. Now, why am I telling you that? Because the same often happens with mobile home parks. They're simply mismarked. Now, people will say, no, that's impossible. The world is too perfect. There's too much math, too much computers. There's no human error anymore. And that's completely wrong. Maybe that's true in cases where you have sophisticated sellers who really understand computer programs and are all over Excel and QuickBooks. But the fact of the matter is with mobile home parks, many, many times they're simply mismarked. And that's a very easy turnaround strategy. Buying something for less than it's worth the minute you buy it is obviously a really, really great way to make money. But it's still not the easiest turnaround plan. Coming up on our final installment, our fifth installment in the turnaround plan called Easy Turnarounds, we're going to talk about the easiest turnaround plan of all. I'll be back with you shortly with that in our fifth and final installment in the series, Easy Turnarounds. This is Frank Roth with the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this and talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Mobile Home Park Mastery Podcast. Be sure to visit us at mhpmastery.com to subscribe to the show, read our show transcriptions, and access all of our great information on mobile home park investing. 